How many times have you wished your kid came with a manual? When we are unsure as parents, there are so many conflicting opinions that it's overwhelming to know which way is best. Even when we're intentional, situations change, which require us to be flexible and remodel our styles to meet the needs of our families. I created this podcast to share principles and strategies that I have used in counseling and education to help parents prioritize authenticity, connection, and purpose with their kids. Welcome to Remodel Parenting. Welcome back, everyone. Starting a new series today on negative communication. I got a lot of feedback on my last communication series. If you missed it, it's episodes 10 through 14. But I talked about healthy communication practices and gave some really helpful and kind of feet on the ground approach to readjusting communication on how to be assertive and how to use active listening. I had so much feedback that I thought it might be helpful to do a second series on communication and talk a little bit about negative communication patterns that can really challenge healthy communication between people in general, but it absolutely applies to families. When we talk about how to communicate with kids and how, you know, what what is the way that parents should be communicating with their children, very culturally big messages are sent to us. And they change all the time. So if you look back historically at what parents were being told to do with their children in the 1940s and 50s, even before that, to the 70s, to the 80s, even up to the 90s and 2000s, you'll see pretty consistent parenting message being given to parents on how to engage with your kids, what's important to focus on with your kids. And a lot of it was very reactory to the generations that came before and the problems that they saw. So you have all kinds of extremes from, you know, years ago where, quote, experts were telling parents, you know, don't give your kids too many compliments because that's part of what spoils them, all the way up to some of the 90s and 2000s parenting tactics of say yes as often as you can because your kids are going to hear plenty of no's. Now there's a balance here because what we've seen as a result of all of this are different types of parenting styles that in any extreme really produce difficulties for kids. We heard about helicopter parents for a long time in the 90s and early 2000s where parents hovered around their kids and you saw the rise of the dance moms and the, you know, even the TV shows of parents kind of living vicariously through their children and hovering around them um, to even more recent terms like what we now call the lawnmower parent. That's the parent that really mows down the way for their child in front of them so that their kid has a very clean and easy path in life and doesn't really have to encounter any difficulties or issues on their own. The truth is there's a balance in how we parent in all of this and even in our communication. And so much of it is just in the general practices that we, of how we use communication at home and how we use communication with our kids um, just in general because that creates what is normal and what is a baseline for us. In this series, I'm going to pull in some research and some information from John Gottman, who is one of the forefront researchers in family, marriage and family um, patterns and understandings. And he studied communication patterns so intensively. One of the most famous studies that he's known for was one that was published in 1992, and he could predict with 93.6% accuracy which couples in that study would end up getting divorced. Now, obviously, they didn't know all of that until way later, but the level of accuracy that he was able to predict with connects to what he found with communication that's really damaging in relationships. There are patterns that teach us what can destroy or erode a relationship, 
So what are they and what do we do about them? Gottman called them the four horsemen of the apocalypse, kind of a nod to the metaphor in the New Testament depicting the end of times, because the four patterns that he identified and saw regularly contributed to the ends of relationships. His four horsemen are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Now, if these things can predict the end of committed relationships, he was studying this within marriages, within committed um, couple relationships and realizing that the practice of these would erode those relationships and cause them to end. It's reasonable to assume that the same patterns likely erode or damage relationships with other people, friends, children, coworkers, and you name it. They're going to lead to issues as well, no matter what the relationships are, but they're highly damaging to close, intimate relationships. If we're using them, then we're probably setting ourselves up for struggle and frustration and leaving situations wondering if it's just us or if it's everyone else or why we can't seem to get it together and just leaving a pattern, uh, you know, a wake behind us of hurt and issues for ourselves and for the people who we love. If we're using them around or with our children, um, including not just to them, but modeling it, using them in relationship to how we talk about the rest of the world, we're setting them up for issues in their relationships later too. And their relationships as children, because if children are using these um, methods of communication as well, they're not connecting as well. And then those become um, ingrained in them as how to communicate. And that's what they end up using as they move into later developmental stages in life as they're trying to connect with others. And it can cause barriers. They do, kids do what's modeled for them, not just what they're told. And they absorb what's going on around them. They watch us interact and they take in how grown up interaction goes. And their whole job, a lot of times as kids, is to take in and watch what's going on around them to learn what patterns look like, to look at what, you know, what do. Um, grown-ups do? How do grown-ups talk? What do married people engage like? What is a parent supposed to be like? So they're experiencing the world, but they're also picking up the, quote, norms, the supposed tos of how life is supposed to go from how things are going on around them. Norms are powerful. I did a whole series on family norms, episodes three through nine of this podcast on building positive family norms. And a lot of those norms that I covered in those seven episodes really combat the horsemen that we're going to cover in this series, the criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. When you're actively doing those other things, usually we don't have to be as reactive to problems that arise because the proactivity help builds protective factors in that keep us from having to engage with the, with the problem parts. Here's the best part about this. Now, every one of us, I'm going to tell you, every single one of us that listens or learns about Gottman's Four Horsemen will see ourselves reflected in them. All of us use negative communication patterns at times. So going over these is not a situation where you need to listen and do a deep dive in shame or frustration. Communication patterns are skills. It's practices that we do. It's similar to going to the gym. The first time you start running or the first time you go to the gym after not being in the gym for a long time, it's a hard thing. It feels awkward. The exercises that you do don't feel natural to your body. Um, it, it feels like you're pushing up against something or you kind of get a little lost at times or you feel discouraged and like you can't really do it. 
But the more you practice it, the more you do it, the stronger you become, the stronger your muscles become, the more agile your body becomes. And over time, it molds you into something else. People who can just go out and run, you know, a 5k, they can't do that just because they've decided they wanted to do it. They can do that because they decided and they've routinely practiced and pushed their body to be in a space to be able to do that. The same is true with communication. It doesn't matter when we learn and start using these tools, they work. So I can go from being a poor communicator yesterday, but if I start using the tools today, it's not going to cover everything and necessarily erase what I've done, but it absolutely will start working in the moments. And over time, the stronger that it gets, I'm going to see really big outcomes and differences. I know this is true because I worked with couples for years Primarily, that was what I did in counseling. And communication is the number one indicator of how happy and satisfied people are with their marriages and their significant, close, intimate relationships. Communication is key. And what I would see is people who spend a lifetime communicating in ways that are poor and in ways that have damaged relationships can learn skills, start using them, and see different outcomes for themselves. So this works for sure. Um, And there are very few things that I say that about (laughs) It's important to think developmentally about kids, though, when we start teaching about communication patterns and we start really when we're parenting at all and helping kids learn new things. We have to understand how kids develop in different ways. Now, I loved studying human development in college. It's one of my favorite topics um, and people develop throughout their life. And so understanding human development is really important to me. As counselors, one of the things that sets um, professional counselors apart from the rest of the mental health and professional helper communities is that counselors approach all clients and all people from a developmental perspective. We know that from the time someone gets to this earth, they are developing. And no matter if what is developing in their body, it's not just body development. It's cognitive development or how we think. It's emotional development and how we feel and understand our feelings. It's social development and how we engage and move through life with others. It's spiritual development. And it's also physical development. Now, all the way through the lifespan, we are developing. And and I always look at that when I'm working with a family or working with individuals. But... There are some pieces of cognitive development or how the brain and thoughts develop in kids early on that are important to know when you start trying to teach them concepts like communication. I'm going to give a brief overview of Jean Piaget's sensory motor stage now, or um, their stages of development. It starts with sensory motor stage, but his stages of development. Now, don't let me lose you here. I start saying words like Piaget and sensory motor, and sometimes I can get glazed eyeballs. I get that. Bear with me. I'm not going to just do a big development lesson. But Jean Piaget realized that kids in the way that they interacted with their environment and how they took things in in their cognitive patterns to understand things developed in a certain way. And so he gave four stages in how we develop. The first was the sensory motor stage, which is birth to two. And we know that kids learn and experience through physical touch and through physical connection. There's not a lot of brain activity beyond that. Babies aren't logical. They don't converse at the same level. That's all developing. And that's an internal process. Now, in the second stage, which is the pre-operational stage, and that's from two to seven, 
We know kids learn by through symbols and symbolism, symbolic learning. They're very egocentric and they have a really hard time seeing the outside world from anything except their own experience. They struggle to see others' perspectives and they are very, very concrete, which is why during pre-operational stage two to seven, very clear black and white instructions on what to do and what not to do is really important for kids' moral and value development. Stage three is the concrete operational stage, and that's from ages, he said, stages ages seven to 11. Kids develop logic about really concrete events. They're not as egocentric as they were before, and they, because they can start to organize their thoughts and be more logical, but they are still very, very concrete. And they use what's called inductive logic, which means they are able to understand um, general principles, like do unto others as you would have them do unto you through specific instances. So it's very important to teach them in individual instances what's going on to help them generalize those to principles, but they can't really do it the other way around yet. You can't just tell a 7 to 11-year-old, hey, do unto others as you would have them do unto you without really concrete ways to do it and it stick. The last stage is called formal operational st- the formal operational stage, and that's 12 and up. People develop abstract thinking, and they can consider more philosophical, ethical, social, political issues, and they can use deductive logic, where they take broader um, understanding and apply it to individual situations. Now, there's one caveat. This theory has been uh, criticized because we now believe that the formal operational stage of that abstract thinking um, may not develop as early as he said that it does. And quite frankly, for some adults, we may see that they don't have a lot of abstract thinking at all. So there are questions about how and why that develops, if it's all just internal, or if it also is a combination between what you experience and your social engagements as well. This is important, and I'll refer back to this in the rest of the the episodes in this series, because how you teach communication at each of these ages has to fall in line with how a kid can think. Otherwise, it doesn't stick and it doesn't stay. So I'm going to point back to these um, throughout the rest of the episodes, and hopefully that will help frame it for you. When you're teaching your kid concepts for life, you build the concepts um, along their developmental guidelines. And the truth is, you don't have to know the developmental theory to do it well. There are signs and symbols along the way. They give you feedback. You try to teach it. You realize that went over their heads. They didn't get it at all. But when you're listening to podcasts like this and I'm here to help, sometimes I can teach you some of the developmental theory too and refer back to it. And hopefully that will help you in guiding and maybe give you a few shortcuts as you're guiding other places for your kids. In the next four episodes, I'm going to dive into each of the four horsemen and look at how they appear in families, how they appear in communication, and how to help our children fight back against those at different ages so that they are growing into healthy communicators and really pushing back against negative communication patterns. Hope you'll click subscribe, listen to the shows that are coming, interact with me online. I look forward to hearing from you guys. Share the podcast if this has been helpful to you and hope you have a great day. Thank you for listening to Remodel Parenting. If this has been helpful for you, share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss our weekly episodes. You can visit theremodelproject.com to sign up for our email list and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.